Hey, True Life, how's it going? How you guys doing this morning? Yes, the 8.30 service. You guys are really awake, I can tell. Um, well, I am, I'm glad you guys are here this morning. My name is Joel. I am the uh, small groups pastor here at True Life, and I'm excited to share a message with you. We are wrapping up our summer series, Summer at True Life, as we wrap up summer. I can't believe it's August now. Can you guys, like, it feels like summer just started, and, uh, and I'm seeing all the back-to-school ads and all that kind of stuff, and it's, it's pretty crazy. But um, as we talk through uh, this series, what we, we've done is whoever's preaching kind of can pick whatever topic they want, right? Wh- whatever they're passionate about, whatever the Lord puts on their heart which I think I said last time I preached is both a blessing and a curse, right? Because I can pick anything, but like the Bible is a huge book and I love it, but there's everything from uh, the beginning to the end, right? And everything in between. And so I have to narrow it down. So what I did this time, I actually looked back at things that I'm really passionate about uh, that I haven't preached on in a while. So I was revisiting old topics. And I'm like, oh yeah, I haven't, I haven't talked on that in years. And, and so what I came back to was the topic of laughter, and so we're going to talk through that today um, because I'm really passionate about laughter and about joy, and, and as Christians, that it should be something that we have in our life. Um, and so I'm excited to share this message with you. I got to revisit some old notes and old things the Lord had taught me and are still true, and I'm still walking in today. Uh, but before, before we get there, I figured the only way to start a sermon like this is to share a funny story, like share something from my life that hopefully will make you laugh. If it doesn't, you'll just... Look at me weird and think I'm crazy, and that, that's okay, too. Um, it's one of my, my favorite stories, maybe, from my life. The last time I was up here, I shared about the 4th of July, if you were here, and how I had this crazy story where these people got in fights, and a bunch of cops showed up and had to break people up, and there was a kid peeing in the front lawn, and like all this stuff, right? If you were, haven't listened to it, go back to the 4th of July message, and even if you don't want to listen to the whole sermon, just listen to the story. It's, it's a fun story. Uh, but today, I'll share another fun story from my life, and it's from when I was a newlywed. I had just gotten married. I'd been married for maybe a month or two, and uh, when we first got married, me and my wife, Janelle, we, uh, we were broke, right? We, we had like hardly any money. And so we bought our furniture for our apartment, a um, little one-bedroom apartment that we had in California. Um, we bought it all on Craigslist. Has anyone bought furniture on Craigslist before or just me? All right, sweet. Uh, there's this thing. I don't know if it happens as much because, to be honest, I don't buy as much furniture on Craigslist. Not completely true. My wife did buy a bunk bed last year for the kids, and she said it was a DIY project that she wanted to do. It was a DIY project that I did. I'm taking credit for it. I did like 90% of the work. Um, but, uh, so we do actually still buy furniture on Craigslist. But I, after that one, I told her never again. Like it was too much work and, and so never again. But back when we first got married, that's where all our furniture came from. Unless someone gave it to us, it was from Craigslist. And Craigslist had this thing where people would say, you can buy my couch, but only if you take my love seat. It was weird. Like I just remember this being a thing. And so we ended up like newlyweds with like six couches, right? And we could only fit two in our apartment. And so there was like three or four over at my wife's grandma's house in storage, um, which eventually just got dropped off at Goodwill. But all that to say, we had this one couch. It was gigantic. Uh, I would call it Goliath. It was, it was probably the same measurements as Goliath in the Bible, right? It was just huge. It was really heavy, really long, really big. And when we moved, which we only stayed in that apartment a couple months, and then we moved to Texas, we had to throw things out or give things away. And that couch, nobody wanted it, right? Because I got it from these hippies uh, in California that kept it in their garage, and they had a car that ran off vegetable oil. This sounds totally made up. I don't know if anyone has heard of this before, but there was this thing in the mid-2000s where people were like trying to go green, and they were converting their car engines so they could run them off of old vegetable oil. And so you would go to like Denny's and be like, can I get your old oil? And Denny's would give it to you, and you would dump it in your car, and your car would convert that somehow 
beyond me, and it smelled terrible. I, I know multiple people that did this. I knew a band that did this with their tour bus, and it was just disgusting. I mean, just imagine like greasy band guys like with vats of oil behind a Denny's just dumping it in a bus. Um, it's, it was a horrible idea. I don't know if it's still around. Maybe it is, and if it's green, and if it's good for the environment, cool, but it stinks. And these people kept this Goliath couch in their garage next to their car where they did this. So when I picked it up, I remember thinking, like, kind of smells weird in here. And the lady said, oh, it probably smells weird because we do this. And I was like, that's what it is. Yep. And so we had that couch. So when we're moving, we're like, nobody's going to want this. So I, my wife says, hey, you should wait. And uh, some friends are going to be over later. They can help you carry it out because it's really big. I'm like, no, 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 I got this. Which, when a guy says, I got this, they don't got, they don't got it. Like, it, it's literally just a word that we use to muster up confidence to do something that we know is stupid, that we know is dangerous. We learn it as kids in baseball when you're in the outfield, you yell, I got this, even if the ball's going to hit you right in the face and you can't see it, you're supposed to yell it before you go under it. Uh, and so I'm like, I got this. So I get out my tools, which as a newlywed and like not needing tools, I had like a pair of pliers and a screwdriver and a hammer. And I start to, I, they don't really do anything. So I break the couch into pieces. I break an arm off, another arm. I eventually break the back off. Piece by piece, I'm carrying these out to the dumpster. And then I get to the base, which again, it's like 10 feet long. It's huge. And it's really wide. You can sleep like three people this way on it, probably. Uh, and I flip it up on its side, and I start to just hit it with the hammer as much as I can, right? And eventually break the frame. So now it bends. But in the middle is a metal cable, uh, and that doesn't bend. It's just solid. Like, it, w it won't go anywhere. Uh, and so I get out. I think I had, like, a little, little saw or something, and I'm trying to do nothing. It's metal, right? So that was stupid. Um, I go to Target, because it was the only store near us, and I get some, like, wire cutters. Doesn't do anything. I think I should heat the wire cutters up, so I put them on the stove burner. Does nothing, right? Now my wire cutters are just hot, and I'm, like, using towels to hold them. Um, and doesn't work. So then I have an idea, and it's like in that moment, I realize like the Lord really does give people like words of knowledge or whatever you want to call it, because my wife knows what I'm thinking in the moment, because I'm walking to our hall closet where we keep the hairspray, and she says, do not get my hairspray and create a blowtorch. What? How did she? So I grabbed the hairspray, uh, and I do create a blowtorch. And where did I get that idea? I grew up in the 90s, Beavis and Butthead, right? Like, they did that on the show. So I get the lighter. I get the blowtorch thinking, I will melt this wire. That's what's going to happen right now. So I, I go to melt the wire. Wire does not melt at all. But what does happen is the couch catches on fire. And so now, me and my wife are in the apartment, and our couch is tipped up on its side, the base of the couch, and the whole top is just on fire. And I, we're both screaming, right? Like, what did you do? Oh, my God. Ah! And so we don't even have a fire extinguisher. We have cups, and we're filling them with water in the other room and running and dumping them on the couch, and it's not working. And eventually, my wife finds a pitcher, and that creates enough water that we get it out. While this is happening, though, the smoke alarm's going off, and our neighbor begins to do what any nice, loving neighbor would do. He just begins to, like, stomp on the floor because he doesn't want to hear the fire alarm. So you've got the fire alarm, you've got the neighbor stomp, you have smoke everywhere. We get the fire out. I grab the couch and wrap it around me like this with the wire kind of just bent in front of me, and I run through the door and bust up all the trim on the door, and I run out to the dumpster with it, like waddle out more so, and, 
and throw it on top, and it lands, the, tr the dumpster was full, so it lands like this, like, like a V, uh, and it's just smoking. And I come in, and I'm like, look, babe, V for victory, we did it. And my wife did not think it was funny. She was, she was crying at the time and probably wondering, like, did she make the right decisions in life to end up here married to me? Um, and we were about to move across the country away from her family. Um, and at 22, I, I think my next words were like, please don't tell your parents I did this, right? And uh, she didn't for a while. Eventually, we told him my father-in-law years later thought, was, thought it was funny. I think he would have maybe tried to hold her back if I had uh, told him in the moment. But... Hopefully you guys find that funny. If not, I'm sorry. I still think it's funny because I like laughing at myself and stupid things that I do uh, over the years. So with that said, I want to talk about laughter and I want to talk about how important it is for a follower of Jesus to be able to laugh at, at different things in our life. As we go through challenges and trials and different things, that we should be able to laugh. And actually the Bible has a really great way of saying this in the book of Ecclesiastes, which if you want to laugh, Ecclesiastes is a great place to start because it's such a happy book which is not true. It's a very uh, depressing book for the most part. But Solomon says, there is a time for everything, a season for every activity under the heavens, a time to weep and a time to laugh. So Solomon here in all of his wisdom is saying, you know what, there's actually a season for a lot of different things. And if you read this, there's a bunch of different activities in uh, Ecclesiastes 3 that, that, that there's seasons for. But he points out that there's a time to laugh. Yes, there's a time to weep, but there's also a time to laugh. And I think sometimes faith, like this conversation gets hijacked as something that should just be super serious all the time. Uh, and we miss out how important laughter is. And when we read scripture, we see people laughing throughout it. We see people having joy and enjoying the life that God's given them throughout it. So much so that I, I, I think we need to remember that laughter and joy, it's actually good for us. The Bible tells us it this way. It says... A cheerful heart is good medicine. And I think this is really true. And when, I, when you look this up, I'm not a doctor, but you can find stuff like this online, that actually laughing is good for your body as well. It, it, it lowers your blood pressure, releases endorphins, it lowers stress hormones, all kinds of good benefits. It, it works your abs. So if you don't like doing sit-ups, just laugh a lot. Right? Like it's good for your body to laugh, not just metaphorically. It's good spiritually for you as well, but it's also physically good. It's good medicine for you. And just a fun fact about laughter, uh, laughter across all languages uh, on earth is pretty much the same. It, 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 it happens every 210 milliseconds, which I thought was weird, uh, and it, it's consisting always of short vowel sounds, particularly, I'm going to put these on here, ha, 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 or ho, ho, ho. Those are the most common across all languages. This is how people laugh. Like, you won't find, you can't go to Haiti or Germany or China or somewhere else and find a different laugh, really. These are the main ones across all languages. Uh, it's never a mix. So it's never ho, ha, ho, or ha, ho, ha. That makes me laugh, but it's not, nobody laughs like that. And if you're Spanish, it's ja, ja, ja which I love. And I know the J says, says a different sound in Spanish, that it actually is the same. But when I read ja, 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 it makes me ha, ha, ha. And so I love it. Uh, when I see that on Facebook or in a text from a friend, my best friend growing up was Puerto Rican. So things like this, like I just, it makes me laugh. All right, so um, we can keep going. So, so what should we laugh at? So I want to talk about the parts of our life that we should be able to laugh at, and really three main parts, your past, your present, and your future. And we're going to walk through this and go to some different scriptures to illustrate this. So first, your past, all right? So I think for a lot of us, our past, really for all of us, uh, our past can come back to haunt us at times. Things that we regret, people we've hurt or people that have hurt us, 
things that we failed at or, or, or things that failed us, um, those can come back and, and ruin our day, right? Like they can really rob us of our joy, rob us of our laughter, um, and, and make us feel bad about something that's not even happening anymore, something that happened a long time ago. I think we've all had that, that time we're laying in bed and we think of something stupid we said or did maybe even years ago. And we're like, why am I thinking, why is my brain bringing that back to me now, right? And what I would encourage us is when we look at our past, Scripture really only has one thing that we should be doing with that, and that is forgetting it, moving on from it. So I want to show you a few Scriptures on this. Isaiah says, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past. Paul says, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward towards what is ahead. And and just pause here for a second. Paul's not even necessarily specifying bad things. Like sometimes we can just get caught up in our past thinking about how great it was back then and we just get stuck thinking that way. Paul's saying, no, I forget what's back there and I reach towards what's ahead. Paul had good and bad things in his past at this point, right? Like he had killed Christians before he came to Jesus, but he'd also planted churches and preached the gospel. He's saying all that, everything behind me, I'm gonna forget and I'm gonna go towards what's ahead. I'm not gonna get stuck in the past. And the last one, uh, 2 Corinthians, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And so this is where I want to camp out for just a second on why you can laugh at your past. Because when your past comes back to haunt you, when the enemy wants to throw it in your face, when he wants to make you feel ashamed, or whatever else comes up, whatever emotions you feel when you think of your past, I want you the next time to think of zombies. And, and I tried to find a good picture, but I couldn't find one that fit so well uh, for this. But I want you to think of zombies, and here's why. I, I love zombie movies, shows, all all of that. So much so, I, I told you guys I was revisiting old sermon notes. The last time that I preached on laughter, this is how long ago it was. The Walking Dead was still a good show. And maybe you watch, watch The Walking Dead, maybe you haven't. They're at like 10 or 11 seasons now, and it's been terrible for a while. I'm not saying I don't watch it anymore, but it's terrible. I'm like, please end. Like I'm, it's kind of a parody of itself where now it is a zombie. Like It won't die. The show just keeps going, and you're like, please, like you've killed all of the main characters from the first season. They're all gone. This is all new people. Um, and, and it gets weirder and even less realistic as it goes. But here's what is interesting or actually funny to me about zombie movies and zombie shows is they're 100% unrealistic, which I know is no shock, right? Like no, people aren't coming back from the dead to kill you. But what's unrealistic about it is this, that somehow the zombies always win in these movies. Like somehow they kill everybody and the infection keeps spreading. It doesn't make sense to me and here's why it doesn't make sense. I'm a hunter. I grew up with my dad taking me hunting and now I take my kids hunting and it's a great experience. I love being outdoors. Um, we, we hunt deer or squirrel or you know we'll try other things at, at some point. Those are the two that we have right now and we're fishing so we're real outdoorsy. Um, but uh, I love spending time outdoors. I love hunting but what, what you need to know when you go hunting is whatever animal you're hunting uh, has a, a set of skills. It has uh, senses that protect it. So good sense of smell, good sense of hearing, good vision. Uh, and so you do a lot of things to try to prevent that animal from letting them know that you're there, right? So you wear camouflage, you wear cover scent, you hide in a tree. You do things that like to modern people seem kind of crazy and stupid, but you do these things so that the animal won't detect you. You try to wear clothes that are like not very loud, right? That's why when I started taking my kids hunting, I wanted to buy them new stuff because the first time out, they're all wearing their puffy coats and it's just like shh the whole time and no animal's coming near us. Um, but, but, but you try to blend in, you try to do all of this so they won't know you're there. And even with all of that, the state, the government, puts laws around hunting. 
that you can only hunt certain times of the year. You can only kill so many animals. They have to be of a certain size. All kinds of different laws. And maybe you don't like all of them, but they're there. And the reason they're there is to protect the animals from completely getting wiped out. And you say, well, would that happen? Yes, and it has. In the past, before there was any kind of laws around hunting, people, like us, would go and just kill them all, right? This happened to the buffalo. Like, buffalo used to be everywhere in America. And then, like, people showed up, uh, probably people that are my ancestors, and were like, you know what's really fun? Shooting buffalo from a train. Okay, yeah. So, like, buffalo just started getting wiped out, right? And, and thankfully, they didn't kill all of them, and, and they're making a comeback, which is cool. But they had to put these laws because we could just wipe out animals with good senses and, and lots of defense mechanisms they could wipe out. Zombies, in the traditional sense, I know there's like updated like hyper steroid zombies, but in the traditional zombie movies, they're stupid. They're stupid, they have no good sense, like they walk this slow, and somehow people still get surprised by them and killed by them. I'm like, no, no, no. Like, you wouldn't even need to engage the military. You just would say, like, hey, we need some guys from southern Delaware or Elkton. We're going to give you some shotguns. Zombie problem's over. Like, overnight. It's done. It's gone. Like, no limit. We're going to give you unlimited ammo. You can do it at night with spotlights and everything. Like, boom. Like, they're gone. Like, there's no reason to be afraid of zombies. That's the thing when I see movies. I'm like, there's no reason to be afraid of these. We have houses and, like, guns, and that's it. Like, that's, that's the end of the story. Your past, when it comes at you, that's what it is. Paul is saying your past, it is dead. You are actually a different creature now. That thing in your past, it's not you anymore. It's dead. And so when it comes back, it's like that zombie. And you don't need to be afraid of it because you have everything that you need to fight it. Right? Like you have everything you need to overcome that because you have Jesus. Right? Because he has given you his power. You do not have to be afraid of your past. You don't need to be, be worried about it or ashamed of it. You can laugh. You can say, man, that's where God brought me from. Look how bad that was. Look how dumb that was. Look how dumb I was. Whatever it is. And you, sh- you should be able to laugh at it. Uh, and so if we can laugh at our past, that then brings us to our present. I'm always a little nervous I'm going to hit this. Even though I just looked at these backstage, I'm like, I'm going to hit this and it's going to be something different. Um, I don't know why. But it, we can laugh at our present. And so um, maybe when we talk, I'm talking about past, like that's not your thing. Maybe that's not a big deal for you. Maybe you had a good past. But maybe right now you're going through stuff, right? Like maybe it's health issues or marriage problems or, or, or a job you hate or whatever it is. Maybe it's something now that you're struggling with. And so you... you get way down and you get distracted from what God has for you uh, because of things going on in your present. Maybe it feels like people are working against you or things are working against you. If that's how you feel, I want to take you to a scripture that describes God in one of the coolest ways in the whole Bible. Um, it's in Psalms 2, and it says this, the one enthroned in heaven laughs, the Lord ridicules them. I love this description of God, that he's sitting in heaven laughing. Right, like I love that because I love to laugh. Like I, I just love it when I find a new show or, or a joke or my kids make me laugh. Like I love laughing. I just pause here. The other day I was driving with my daughter in the car, and we came on Ogletown Road. I don't know if you guys know Ogletown Road in Newark. We were going to Lowe's, and and she said, "Dad, why is it called Ogletown Road?" And I said. It's not. It's called Ogletown Road. She goes, no, that's definitely Ogletown. That's how you would pronounce that. And I said, it's Ogletown. There's a church there called Ogletown Baptist. This business has Ogletown. It's Ogletown. No, it's not. I was like, Sid, I've lived here my whole life. It's Ogletown. Not missing a beat. My daughter looks at me in the eyes while I'm driving. Like, I look over and she looks at me and she's like, Dad, I've lived here my whole life. It's Ogletown. <laughs> I'm like, that's a great art. I, I like, just almost pulled over. Like, I was like, you can walk home from here. Um, but, man, I love to laugh, and so I love knowing that God loves to laugh. And, and, and 
the next part of this, though, that catches my attention is that he ridicules people. Who's he ridiculing? Who's he making fun of? Like, because another thing I love to do, uh, and I don't know if I'm supposed to say this from stage, I love making fun of people, right? In, in good spirit, like in good fun, I love making fun of people. The people I make fun of the most are my, my closest friends. I always tell people this, like, if I love you, I'm going to make fun of you. Um, and I had, to, this doesn't actually help if you try to do this with your wife and explain, no, I said that because I love you, it doesn't work. But my closest friends, I, I make fun of them. I make jokes about them, and they make jokes about me. Um, but with God, who's God making fun of? Because he's making fun of someone here. If we go and read the whole psalm, which we're not going to right now, but I would encourage you, read Psalm 2. Who he is ridiculing, who he's laughing at, is anyone that's going to attack his people. Right? So it's talking about the king of Israel and the nation of Israel. Anyone that wants to rise up against them, God's laughing at those people. Because he's like, who are you? What are you doing? You think you can attack my kids? You think you can come against my kids? It's not even like he's nervous or, oh, let's make a plan. God's laughing. He's like, oh, oh my gosh. He, he's up there laughing. So the next time you feel attacked, the next time you feel like things are coming against you, the next time the devil's throwing something in your face, remember, God's actually laughing because it's so weak. It's so like un incredibly weak that like that has no power over you you have God on your side it's why in the New Testament Paul says if God is for us who can be against us right like that that's a rhetorical question because the the answer is obviously nobody nobody can be against us if God is for us and so in our present we're able to laugh because God is laughing we're able to join in we don't have to be afraid of people we don't have to be afraid of circumstances God has got our back God is with us and so it allows us to laugh right along with him and so, on this same note, as we're going through things, this is why Paul says it this. In 2 Corinthians, he says, so we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light, momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I love this verse as well. When I think about my present, it's good to put it in context, and we'll get to future in just a second, but it's good to put it in context of one day I'm going to look back on this present, and whatever it is that I'm going through, it's going to seem light and momentary. And that might take a while, right? But Paul's putting this in perspective of eternity, right? Like that a million years from now, we'll be with Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, a billion years from now, you'll be in heaven with him. And you'll look back at whatever thing you're going through now, and you're like, man, that was like that. That was over so quickly, right? And, and, and I know this is true because I can see examples even in my short life now, right? In 37 years of being on this earth, I have things that seemed so big and serious and incredible at the time, and now I look back at them, and I, and I actually laugh. I'll share one with you. You can laugh at me as well. Uh, when I was in high school, I got dumped. It's funny now, right? When I, when I was in high school and got dumped, though, it felt like the biggest thing in the world, right? Like, oh my gosh. And so what did I do? I wrote like a whole emo album about it, right? Like I just, I was already in a band, but they weren't emo enough. So I started like writing my own songs and playing coffee shops in the greater, you know, Newark, Elkton, Pennsylvania area. Just going around, playing, playing my sad songs about getting dumped. It was like the summer that Dashboard Confessional was getting really popular, and so I was like trying to like mimic that, and I probably just ripped off his songs. Um, but I was going around singing these sad songs because I was so depressed, like, oh no, this girl broke my heart. And now I look at that and I think, dude, that, that seemed big at the time, but it was so momentary, so fleeting, so unimportant compared to the joy that I've had in 15 years of marriage with my wife. Right? Like, and so that's a small comparison, right? Like I had this, this heartbreak that felt very real and big, 
And now I compare it to being with Janelle for 15 years, and I'm like, that was so silly. Like, I wrote a whole emo album about it, and it was so stupid and silly, and it was momentary, and it's gone now. And, and that is how we can look at our life. Like, no matter what you're going through, you can look and realize that there's going to be a day, whether it's here on earth or when you're in eternity with Jesus, that you'll be able to laugh, that you'll be able to think, man, that was so momentary. I'm glad God brought me through it. I'm glad that he was with me in it. But it's over, and it's momentary, and, it, 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 and it's gone. And so moving on from there, um, if we're not just talking about trials and tribulations and hard things, but I think another thing in our present that sometimes get us way down to where we can't laugh is we, we get caught comparing ourselves uh, to others. We get thinking like, oh, well, that guy has this, and I don't have that, or she has this, and I don't have that, and I wish I was good at, at, at this, and I'm not. And, and so we, we get caught in this, and it robs us of our joy when we do that. And there's a lot of verses I could take you to talk about this. But I thought, since we're talking about laughter, let me take you to probably the silliest verse. Um, and it's in the book of Job, which the whole book of Job is, is kind of funny. It's a tragedy, comedy kind of story. And, and there's a lot of funny lines in the book of Job. I just read it recently, and I was reminded of how many funny things are in the book of Job. Uh, but, but in particular, this, this chapter, chapter 39, jumped out because there's a whole huge long rant about ostriches. And I think that there's actually something we can learn from ostriches when we talk about our present and how not to get caught up comparing and, and wishing we had somebody else's life. Uh, and so after a long rant on how bad ostriches are, how stupid they are, all these things, this is what it says in Job. For God did not endow her, that's the ostrich, uh, with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet, when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. So what's going on here? If we were to read the whole chapter 39, he, he talks about ostriches being ugly, like that they're just no comparison to other birds, that, they, um, that they're bad moms, that they don't care if their kids die. Like all, all, he just like rags on ostriches. For, we're at verse 17. So for 16 verses, he rags on ostriches. Uh, and then he gets to verse 17, and he continues to rag on ostriches. They don't have wisdom. They don't have good sense, right? God didn't give them that. But when they run, they laugh at horse and rider. So here's the thing. The ostrich may be bad at a lot of things, but it is good at one thing. It's good at running. And in, in ancient culture, horses were considered majestic. Horses were considered kind of noble. Um, you can, there's actually psalms about horses. There's like whole passages where it's like, don't trust in horses, trust in God. Because why? People were trusting in horses. They loved horses. They thought they were awesome. But you know who laughs at horses? Ostriches. Stupid old ostriches. They're like, ha, ha, yeah, eat my dust, right? And they're just like running by the horse and they're laughing. And it doesn't matter that they're bad at other things because God's given them something that they're good at. And so they run with it, right? Literally run with it. And I love this. Like, I just love thinking about this, that there's things that God created you for to be good at, to, to, to have strength in. And if you get caught up thinking, well, I'm not a horse, or for the ostrich, it, it, there's an earlier passage about it flapping its feathers joyfully, even though it's ugly. Like, you're, it's not a peacock, right? But, but it's an ostrich. And so it's going to laugh about the thing that it's good at. It's going to enjoy that. Um, I actually was thinking just in practical terms. Here at our church, right, we do life track. That's meant to help you find Somewhere here at church to plug in, somewhere to use your strength, somewhere to use your talents, to use your gifts to actually advance God's kingdom. Uh, and recently, I was talking to some people in our church that, that started um, a maintenance team, right? We now have a team that actually fixes things around here, not just like kind of random grab somebody and ask them to, but we have a team. And that's so cool. But what I was thinking about is that that team, I don't know all of them, uh, they may not be the right people to also lead worship right? I don't know. Maybe they are. Maybe there's some musicians, some crossover there. There could be, for sure. But 
if there's somebody on that team that has no musical ability but can fix a toilet, then praise God, right? Like, I'll take some wrong notes on a Sunday morning over clogged toilets every time. Like, we, it's good that we can have both good music and good toilets, but, like, if I had to pick, I'll pick good toilets, right? Like, I just will. Um, I've been on mission trips. I've been to countries that really love Jesus and sing well and have terrible toilets. It's a challenge. Like, it, it's hard to go and worship when you smell the toilets that aren't working right, right? And so I am... So thankful that God gifted people differently and gave them strengths. And, and if they get caught up comparing, right, some of those guys are, or people here, you may never sing like Dan, right? Like you may not have that kind of voice. You may not be able to play piano like Carlos. We know Michaela has tried, and she hasn't, right? But like, we still love her. I was so excited to make fun of Michaela in this message. I, I saw Michaela this morning, and I was like, oh, you're back from motion, yes. I was like, because I was going to have to explain that like it's mean to make fun of her when she's not here. But anyway, um, I love Michaela. She's great. But, but, but th- those may not be your strengths, but if your strength is fixing toilets, if your strength is running lights, if your strength is greeting people, whatever your strength is, like the ostrich, you should be able to laugh. Not, not get caught up comparing and, well, like, oh, I'm not like the horse, or I'm not like the worship leader, or I'm not like the pastor, or I'm not like the... Like, no, enjoy where God puts you. Enjoy the present. Don't just ca- get caught up comparing to others, but enjoy where he has you and what he has you doing right now. And so then that leads us to the future. Like, what do we want to talk about with the future? I figured at this point we should get to something directly from Jesus, because I I haven't quoted him directly yet. So we're going to go to the book of Matthew, and it says this, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. All right, so passages like this... uh, or what make me struggle when I hear pastors that are just too fluffy and too, like, too encouraging. Because I'm like, Jesus would make a terrible motivational speaker. Like, he's, he's like, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. Oh, because it's going to be better tomorrow? No, 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 because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble. Every day has trouble. It gets all, there's trouble every day. So don't get caught up thinking about tomorrow's trouble because you got to think about today's trouble, right? Like, it's, I'm like, huh. But if you read the whole chapter, what Jesus says earlier is he says that who of you can add an hour to your life by worrying about it? So what he's saying is, yeah, there's always going to be plenty to worry about, but it's actually not helpful to worry about it, right? Like, it's not helpful. If you trust God, sure, there are things that you could worry about, but why? Like, what's that doing for you? I think in ministry, uh, if you've done it for very long, you'll get these questions like, hey, I'm a Christian, so can I do X? And I don't mean ecstasy, but maybe you've had that question as well, but, but can I do this thing? And a lot of times the answer is, well, sure, you could do that, but it's just stupid. Like, it, it may not send you to hell, but like, it's not gonna get you where you wanna go, and it's going to distract you, and it's gonna rob you of joy. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, hey, I'm not saying that following me means you're not gonna have anything to worry about. You actually, you, you definitely will, and there will be trouble every day. It's not gonna help you to get bogged down by doing that. It's not gonna help you to worry. Instead, there's a really great contrast uh, in the book of Proverbs on what we should do with worry. And in the book of Proverbs, chapter 31, there's this king named named Lemuel, who is writing down sayings that his mom gave him for when he was going to find a wife. She gave him these Proverbs like, hey, here's the kind of woman you should want to marry. What's great about reading Proverbs 31 is that they're not, uh, for the most part, gender specific. They're things that are character related. So men, when you read Proverbs 31, it's not just something you should read and think, well, this is what my wife should be like or my future wife should be like. Uh, This is what you should be like as well when you're reading it. And so Proverbs 31 says she is clothed with strength and dignity and she laughs without fear of the future. She carefully watches everything in her household and suffers nothing from laziness. 
So what I love about this, I kind of memorized it differently growing up. It was, she laughs at the days to come. I, I really like this translation, though, that she laughs without fear of the future. Like, that we can look at our future if we trust God, and we can laugh. Because we know, like we said, God's already laughing because he's on our side. He's got our back. And it's not that she's laughing with some kind of blind hope. That's why I included this next verse, that she carefully watches everything, doesn't suffer from laziness. Like she's planning. She's thinking ahead. She's trying to make sure she has her house in order. But if that's you and you trust God, you know your plans may fail. But if you trust God, you can still laugh and enjoy the future, look forward to the future without fear. And so as Christians, that's what we are called to do, that we're not called to worry, that we're not called to get caught up thinking it's going to be terrible or, or, or hoarding or any of these other things, right? Like that we can actually think about the future and laugh. And I think this is important now because right now, like right now, like this week right now, we live in a time where people want us to be afraid. Like, and I, I don't know how else to say that. Every time I turn the news on, I'm like, I think you want me to be afraid. Like, I think that's the goal. I don't think the goal is to, like, help me or make me a better person or a better neighbor or a better anything else. I think I'm just supposed to read the story and be afraid, and that's really unhealthy. Like, that's really horrible. And if that's you, if you're, like, reading the news and, like, oh, no, new variants are coming out, you know, like the new and improved or whatever, like, all these things— Yes, there's going to be more diseases in our life. Yes, there's going to be more situations. Yes, the economy is going to go up and it's going to go down. But like, we don't have to be afraid of that. Like that, our hope isn't in those things. Our hope isn't in the economy. Our hope isn't even in our own health, right? This is why Paul would say to live is Christ, to die is gain. Like if we do die, we get to be with Jesus. It is a win-win as a Christian, right? Like enjoy the life God's given you or die and be with God right now. Like it's, it, it, we have nothing to fear if we're following Jesus. And, and so we can look forward to the future without fear. And if you're, if you're feeding yourself on that kind of stuff that is actually creating fear and anxiety in you, whether it's the news or social media or something else, man, just like cut it out. Even for a season, just get rid of it. We're about to do this 21 days of prayer. It's not the fasting one, but you can feel free to fast stuff. Like if the news might be a good one to just fast for a while. Like, you know, is it really making your life better? Like, are you really like a better person, a better father, husband, mother, daughter, whatever? Are you better at those things from reading the news? I don't know. It depends on what news you read, I guess, but most of it's got got the same goal. So all that to say, oh, let me go back. Actually, now let's just throw it up there and I'll explain it. So all that to say, uh, what, what's the root of this? Like, how, how do we create this laughter in our life? Um, a very Sunday school verse, one that if you grew up in church, you probably heard as a kid, is right here. Do not grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. It's coming from Nehemiah. And, and in this passage, they have found um, God's law, and it had been a season where they had not had it. So you had a bunch of people living um, that hadn't had God's law, and so they were living kind of however they want. They hear God's word for the first time, and they begin to just weep and mourn. And Nehemiah says, hey, don't grieve. Anytime you see commands like this in the Bible, a lot of times it's because people were doing it. Like when angels show up and they say, don't be afraid. Well, it's because people were afraid, right? Like uh, Nehemiah is standing up amongst a bunch of people that are grieving because they realize they don't measure up to God's law. Like they have totally missed it. And he's saying, hey, don't grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Like there's a season to grieve and mourn, but it's always temporary. Like the Christian faith was meant, like it it says in the Bible that, that godly sorrow leads us to repentance and that is good, but that's not where you hang out. Like, you don't stay in sorrow. And, and some Christians kind of preach these messages or, or teach in a way where it almost feels like that's the end goal, is to just walk around and be sorrowful and be sad and, like, think down of yourself and be, like, somehow that's going to make you a better Christian. No. Like, that's to lead you somewhere, and it's to lead you to the joy that God has for you. Um, and so don't grieve because the joy of the Lord is your strength. And this word strength, 
I learned this like as a teenager and it stuck with me and I go back and look it up every time I preach on it because I want to make sure I, I, I heard it right. Strength, this word strength means a place of strength. It's not like, like bicep curls or bench press or something. It, it is like a place that you hide out. Another word that you could place here would be like fortress or barricade, right? The joy of the Lord is where you should hide out. The joy of the Lord is where you should be living because it will protect you, right? It is a protective place. It is a place of strength that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, you want to live. And so I want to talk for a minute, how do we cultivate that joy? Like how do we make sure that we're living in that joy? To do that, I think we need really, I, I boiled it down to kind of three big categories. There probably is more, but I boiled it down to three categories for this sermon that I think if we are spending time in these things, that we will spend time in the joy of the Lord. So how do we cultivate that joy? All right. Number one, God's presence. We have to spend, spend time in God's presence if we want to spend time in the joy of the Lord. All of these are going to be from Psalms. It says in Psalm 16, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I absolutely love this passage. The most amount of joy that you can feel is in God's presence. The most, the fullness of joy, it's in God's presence. How do you get there? There's a lot of ways to get in God's presence. It is not limited by the physical space you are in, right? The, the Bible says that God's glory covers the earth like the waters cover the sea. You can experience God's presence anywhere. It can be here on a Sunday morning while we're worshiping. It can be in your car when you're commuting to work and you maybe start singing or, or praying and talking to God. It can be on a walk in the woods where you're like enjoying God's nature and you're like, man, Lord, this is awesome. You're a really awesome creator. Like, look at all this cool stuff. Um, and if you're a hunter, like, Lord, please bring an animal to me now. Uh, like, wherever you're at, like, you can experience God's presence. You, you can get up early in the morning. You could stay up late at night. You could take your lunch break. It can look a lot of ways. It can be singing. It can be praying. Like, get in God's presence. You actually have to pursue him. He's, he is a personal being, not an impersonal force. And so to get in his presence, to be around him, cultivates that joy in your life. The most amount of joy. Uh, and right along with that is you have to spend time in God's word. This will help you understand God. It says, it says this in Psalms 19. The commandments of the Lord are right, bringing joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving insight for living. I love this. If you can understand God's word, it's gonna bring joy to your heart. And when you start living it out, it's gonna give you insight for living. Like it's, it's gonna teach you how to live. L reading God's word will not only bring you joy, but it's gonna be very practical. It's gonna show you how to be a good husband, how to be a good father, how to be a, a, a better employer, a better boss. All, all of these things can be influenced by your understanding of scripture, by the way you read the Bible, by understanding what God wants for us as his people. So we're, we're going to spend time in God's presence. We're going to spend time in his word. And then the last one, I don't think should be any surprise to people, God's people. God's people cultivate joy in your life. I lead the small groups here at True Life, and so like you knew I had to sneak this in. Um, it's just, it, so Psalm 133. Uh, I recently, this summer, I, I led a men's group uh, at my house. We did breakfast with the boys. We just ate pancakes in my backyard every week. It was awesome. Uh, I see at least one guy from my group here today. Um, it, was, it was awesome, or two. Dan's down here too. So we got Chase and Dan, yes. And if anybody else is further back, I can't see you. Um, but man, I loved it. it. It was so good just to hang out with those guys every week. It was so good just to like, how was your week? Let's pray together. Let's eat pancakes. That's it. Let's watch our dogs fight for me and Dan. And, uh, and that's it. But, but Psalms 133, it describes this when it talks about God's people getting together. It says, how good and pleasant it is 
when God's people live together in unity, it is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. What does this mean? This is really poetic language to talk about what it's like to be in unity with God's people. Uh, I'll start with this mountain kind of metaphor. It's, it's just basically reminding us that it's refreshing. Like getting together with God's people should be refreshing. Like dew on a mountainside. Like you guys can kind of picture that. You've probably been up early in the morning at some point. If you, For me, like I said, when I go hunting, I'm out in the woods, it's early in the morning, and you can see the dew in the, in the winter or you know, like November-ish, you can see kind of the frost and it starts to, to unmelt. It's refreshing. It's, it's renewing to the land, right? And so being with God's people, it's refreshing. It brings joy. It, it restores that joy into your heart. And this earlier analogy about the oil, we don't really do this a lot, but what this is, is in the Old Testament, they would get oil and they would anoint people. They would anoint priests when they were going to go into the priest store. They would anoint a king. And it was to call God's presence to their life. It was symbolic. It was saying, as we pour this oil on you, we want God's presence to be poured on you. We want his Holy Spirit to be poured on you. And then we see this carried over into the New Testament when they're praying for healing for people. They would take oil and they would rub it on their head and they would pray that God's spirit would come and heal that person. And so we do this a little bit now. We do this with like uh, the freedom retreat. Often they'll get oil and they'll just dab it on. But what they're saying here is like, this isn't a dab. Like we want to just pour that on you. Like when you get together with God's people, it should feel like God's presence just being poured out all over you. Like that's, that's what it's like to spend time with God's people. So if you are in his presence, if you're in his word and you're spending time with his people, which one of the best ways to do that again is small groups. They'll start back up in mid-September. Maybe it's time for you to lead a group. Maybe it's time for you to jump into a group. Either way, mid-September, like just reoccurring. It don't have to be serious. Our men's group this summer, we, we were not serious. We just hung out and ate pancakes. And then we'd spend about 10 minutes at the end going like, what was your life like this week and how can we pray for you? And so we talk about the good things and the bad things and pray for each other. And to me, like, I looked forward to it. I got up early on Saturdays. I was like, I'm going to get up at six in the morning so I can start cooking. So when the guys get over to like seven, seven thirty, we can eat and hang out and have a good time. And it was refreshing. I, I did not walk away from any of those breakfasts feeling tired or worn out. I walked away feeling like I needed that. As, as silly as it is, I needed that. It was refreshing. And I started with a funny story. I'm going to end uh, with a silly story. But first, I, I did want to say one thing on those topics. So God's presence, his word, and his people. Uh, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you're not following him, and you're like, well, where do I start? You start with these same things. One, I would say, you know, if you don't know Jesus, you can make that decision today, and we'll do that in just a second. But if you're like, man, I'm still kind of trying to figure this out, you can start with these things. You can start to talk to God right now. You, you can turn on some worship music in your car. You can read God's word. You can join a small group. All of those things are available to you if you're not sure where you're at yet. That is perfectly fine. We would love to walk along with you in those groups to help you understand God better. Uh, but, but, but let me end here. I, I talked about this anointing oil and how you're going to pour it out on the head. It's going to be dripping down. It's like God's presence. Uh, when I was a teenager, I was in, I was in like, I said I was in a band. I was in this punk band and, um, you know, we weren't great, but uh, it, it was fun. It was a good way to spend my teen years. And one day I got to our practice space like a half hour early, which was our, our church. And it was a very charismatic church. So we had anointing oil out, right? Like we had the big bottle of oil sitting there on the stage. And so I get there and I'm like a half hour early. So I'm like, man, I'm just gonna pray for our practice. I'm gonna pray that God does good things and we write some new songs or whatever. And I see the anointing oil and just the charismatic kid in me is like, I gotta use that. And uh, so I pour it on my hands slat, you know, lather all up. And I start rubbing it on the instruments, right? I rub it on the guitars. I rub it on the drum head. 
heads, all this stuff. And I'm like, this is it. Like, the Lord's going to show up today. And then my band shows up, right? And one by one, they all start picking their instruments up, getting the drums ticked, sitting down. And one by one, they all start complaining. They're like, why is my guitar so greasy? Why can I not hit the drum? And my stick keeps sliding off it when I'm hitting it. What in the world is going So I have to embarrassingly confess to them, like, oh, I, I poured oil over everything because I was pre. And they were like, you moron. What is wrong with you? Uh, please don't ever pour oil on our instruments again. And to be fair, there's nothing in the Bible about pouring oil on instruments. That was totally me. And uh, God didn't show up that day and, and nothing cool happened. But uh, if, you, if you want God's joy in your life, that, that's where I'm going to push you is, is to his word, his presence, and his people. Right? It doesn't get more complicated than that. That's where you start. So with that said, if you bow your head, we're going to pray and we're going to wrap here today. Um, if you don't know Jesus, what I want to encourage you to do right now is to begin to talk to him. The Bible says that if you were to confess with your mouth, believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and that he is Lord, that you would be saved. It is very easy. Like you, you, you can sit there in your seat right now and just tell Jesus, Jesus, I, I, I am sorry for my sin. I believe that you rose from the dead. I want you to be the Lord of my life. And in your own words, you can just begin to say that to him. And if you do that for the first time today, please fill out a connection card and let us know so that we can journey alongside of you, so that we can come along, just like I talked about, God's people, that we can be that refreshment, that we can be that encouragement that helps bring joy into your life as you're following Jesus. And for the rest of everyone here, I'm just gonna take a moment and pray for everybody. Um, and, and hopefully you walk out today feeling encouraged and knowing that you can laugh and you can have the joy of the Lord in your heart. God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that your word is not only convicting, but it's encouraging, God. I, I, I thank you that, yes, there, there's a time for sorrow, a time for repentance, a time for all of that. But Lord, it's to lead us back to your joy. It's to lead us back to those moments, uh, uh, those seasons, Lord, where we can enjoy the life that you gave us, that we can laugh about where you brought us from, that we can laugh without fear of where you're taking us next, God. God, we love you so much. We thank you for your joy. God, I pray that everyone here would have that joy in their heart and that it would be their strength, God, that they would live in it, Lord, that when, when the enemy attacks, when the trials come, Lord, that they would camp out inside of the joy of the Lord, that they would hide in that, Lord, and find refuge in it. God, we love you so much. We thank you again for all that you do. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.